Professor Sean Anderson has finished his seventh year at Vanguard College, and previous to that was children's pastor for almost 15 years, mostly in Calgary, but we're still letting him speak today. So welcome him as he does. Thanks, Pastor Marlowe. Good morning. Oh, this is the children's pastor talking. Come on, man. Good morning. It's a little bit better. It's when you used to work with kids and now young adults used to be a bit louder, but that's okay. Uh, as Pastor Marlowe said, my name is Sean. Uh, I teach at Vanguard. I did move here from Calgary, uh, and I really must say we really, really, really had to hear the call of God to do that. Uh, and so, but we do uh, love what we're doing. Uh, my wife is on staff at North Point uh, Church uh, in the children's ministry department there, and we have three kids of our own. And so uh, I just want to give you a bit of a roadmap for where we're going to go this morning. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in a really sort of strong, dynamic Christian household, uh, whereas my wife did. And so that made the early years of our marriage really interesting. Uh, and so, uh, but I wasn't raised with this concept of, you know, things you should do as a Christian person. Uh, those, that was, it was a totally foreign concept to me. Uh, and so it took a while for me to register. I think I was a Christian for uh, two or three years uh, before someone said, you know, Sean, are, are you doing your devotions regularly? And I was like, yes. What are devotions? Because they'd assumed, they just assumed I knew what that was because they all grew up in the church. They knew what it was. I had no, I had no idea. I mean, well, like I read the Bible. Does that count? You know, and they give me this look. Well, I don't know. And so if it seems like I'm sort of stating the obvious this morning, that's why. Because I don't want to assume uh, that you know uh, what I'm talking about. So where we're going, uh, we're going to use Psalm 19 as our sort of platform to spring off of this morning. Uh, And we're going to, what we're going to talk about, uh, some common mistakes we make when it comes to reading the Bible. I really want to focus this morning on some solutions uh, and some practical things that will help you. And you might be thinking, well, geez, like, how's this guy going to do all that in like two short hours? Listen, I, I am a highly trained professional. We will do it. Okay? So, um, but this idea that, you know, what we're going to look at today is some solutions, some potentially uncomfortable questions that I've had to ask myself that maybe you can uh, relate to. Uh, so, um, when we, when, we, when we just do this and say we're going we're gonna to start by stopping and just turning to uh, Psalm 19. Uh, so if you can't find the book of Psalms, uh, it's right after the book of Job. If you can't find Psalm 19, it's right before Psalm 20. Uh, so don't say I never give you any help at all. So, uh, And one of the reasons why I love Psalm 19 so much and one of the reasons why it speaks to me so, so clearly um, is because this psalm is all about valuing the word of God and God himself. Uh, so uh, let's begin. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, uh, beginning at verse 1. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day and a day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard yet. Their voice goes out through all the earth. 
and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy. Like a strong man runs its, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent and do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So looking at Psalm 19, it seems a bit disjointed at first. It seems like it's talking about two different things, and I guess technically it is. But they're two related things. It's all about how God reveals himself to his people. And so the first half of that psalm, uh, you know, it's like God, it was written for me because if you know me, you know, you really have to make things clear. I don't get hints, okay? I need to have it totally idiot proof. Uh, you can, if you don't believe me, just ask my students, many are here, okay? Uh, it needs to be clear, uh, and I just, otherwise, it's not, I'm just not going to get it, you know? And so it's, it's called, you know, the, the fancy professor term is natural revelation. You can use that to... Like, it, Impress your friends now. But that's a fancy professor speak for saying it's how God reveals himself to us through his creation. You know, and we have the privilege of living, uh, you know, close to the mountains here. Well, fairly close. Not as close as I was in Calgary, I'm just saying. Uh, but fairly close, close enough to know that when you, like, all I have to do when I go and spend time in Banff or Jasper is look around and go, how could I not? No, there is a God just by looking around me. We pastored previously in Manitoba, and yeah, that's a study in contrast. But at the same time, you know, when, when, when we moved there, like our family was like, what are you doing, Sean? You're moving to the end of the world. You know, it's central Manitoba, for goodness sake. But I remember driving out there. My wife had never been uh, west of sort of Thunder Bay, Ontario. And when she got out there, she looked at me and said, Sean, I can't believe it. The sky is so big out here. Now, I didn't have the heart to tell her. That's because there's no trees. Uh, but, um, but at the same time, she was right. Just If you want a good picture of the vast majesty of God, spend time driving on the prairies. What else are you going to do? You know, uh, so, but when, but when you look at that, it's so obvious. Uh, but just in case we don't get it, the second half of that psalm talks about another way 
that God reveals himself to his people. And that's through this, his word. So just in case you're like me and you just didn't get it the first time by walking outside, that's okay. He's given us the word of God to help people like me understand more of who he is. And so when we look at what we, what we have to do, a good starting point is just to stop. Because, you know, like what I'm not going to do this morning is talk about how bad culture is uh, and how awful technology is to distract us. You know what? Okay, sure, it's true. I mean, who doesn't like cat pictures? Uh, Technology can distract us. But you know what? There are far more valuable things that technology does for us. Uh, So I'm not going to talk about that because it's just not true. Technology is amazing. What I am going to do is talk about value. And why it's worth it to take the time to tear my eyes away from that adorable cat picture and put them into my Bible and read it. Uh, Because that's the true thing. When I look at value, I have to stop and consider, okay, what is it that I actually value? And speaking of financial seminars, I just, if you really want to find out what it is that someone values, look at how they spend their time. And look at how they spend their money. And those two things will tell you more than anything else what they truly value. It doesn't matter what they say they value. When you look at how they spend specifically their time, that will tell you where their true values lie. So if you haven't done that, just stop. Take a breath, pause, and go and ask yourself, what is it that I value? The coffee is optional. Well, for some, not for me, <laughs> you know, but, but just stop and take a breath, pause. Because when we do that, it allows us to see not only where we've been, but where God wants us to go. So this can be tremendously helpful uh, for us. And speaking of myself, when I stop and ask myself, um, you know, questions of what I value, sort of two, two things come to my mind. One of them is, you know, we live in an age where the Bible has never been more accessible than it is right now. You know, one of the most amazing uh, technological marvels ever to impact the human race wasn't the internet. It was the printing press. Because it gave us the ability to read our Bibles on our own. And so we, and, and, and now, you know, you don't even have to carry a Bible around with you. I mean, you'll look way less spiritual. But at the same time, you can have your Bible on your phone. And no one's even going to know it's there. Right? So you can have your Bible with you all the time in your pocket. You don't have to look like a professor. Uh, you know, um, you can just say, oh, well, actually, here's what the Bible says about that. And pull it out. That's awesome. What a huge opportunity. But at the same time, I keep wondering, if it's so accessible, then why is biblical illiteracy so high? (laughs) If it's more accessible than it's ever been, why doesn't anybody read it? Or more to the point, you know, why don't I read it more? Because I literally have no excuse now. You know, I can't say, well, you know, I got to kill a sheep and then prepare the skin. Then I got to copy it out by hand. It just takes forever. You know, 
All I have to do is sit on my couch, make some coffee, and just spend time with my dad reading. That's all I, that's all I have to do. And so my second question for myself is that I have to sort of constantly ask myself, yes, even as a professor, right? Is if I value the Bible as highly as I say I do, how often does that translate into the time I spend reading it? Not to prep a class, not even to prep a sermon. Just the time I spend reading it on my own just because I want to know God more. Maybe you've asked yourself the same question. This is only what I ask myself. This is insight into my, you know, um, crazy thinking here. Um, but how often do I do that? How does my stated value for Scripture translate into the amount of time that I myself spend reading it? And a lot of times I'm like, oh, I really am uncomfortable with that answer. So before we look at sort of what we need to do or what I think we need to do uh, to get the most out of our Bible reading, I want to look at a few sort of um, common mistakes that we might make when we actually approach the Bible to read it. And so one of the biggest mistakes we make when it comes to reading the Bible, okay, is that we don't actually read it. Okay. Now, if I was looking at a class full of Vanguard students, they'd look at me and go, well, duh, you know. Uh, but what I mean is, what I'm talking about is that, you know, a lot of times when we go to do our devotions, we read a devotional. And that's, uh, that's good. But it's not the Bible. Right? And so here's what I mean by that. Because I'm not saying devotionals are bad by any stretch. I have bought them myself. But primarily what a devotional is, is it's a couple of passages of scripture followed by someone's thoughts on that passage. And that's good. You know, scholars do that all the time. Only they call it reading commentaries, but it's, it's very similar. Right? It's someone else doing my thinking for me. And sometimes that's good because they have lots of knowledge and they have lots of insight to offer me. They spend way more time studying Leviticus than I am willing to commit myself to do. And so because of that study that God has called them to do, they can help me in my study. All right? So it's not that these things are bad, but it's, it shouldn't replace the word of God in our life. And it shouldn't replace, but I love what they say, Sean. I know, me too. Me too. But that, <laughs> to me, it's just, it's me being lazy. Right? It's not bad. I mean, look at it like, you know, eating healthy snacks. There's nothing wrong with eating carrot sticks. They're very good for you. That's what my mom tells me, right? But I, I can't live off of carrot sticks. You know, I need, at some point, I will need something a bit more sustaining. Okay, but more on that in a few moments. So we don't actually read it. Uh, and there are a number of reasons for this. Sometimes uh, we are taken in by what our culture says that the Bible says, even if it doesn't actually say that. That sounds confusing, Sean. Don't worry, I'll explain that, right? But you have people, for whatever reason, you know, well, the Bible says this. Ah, uh, actually, it doesn't say that. Well, how do you know? Because I've actually read it. You know, oh, oh, okay, well then, okay. 
you know. Um, and this was, this was a common occurrence uh, when I was going to Bible college, because don't tell the Bible college this, but I was actually living with three of my non-Christian friends uh, all through my Bible college life. Uh, and that made for, it was like I had a final exam every day. Right? You know? So it did wonders for my studies. And these were friends that I had grown up with. These were friends that I'd known before I became a Christian. So it really got interesting some days, you know. Um, but it, it sort of highlighted to me the importance of why I needed to know the Bible. Forget about what I might do as a pastor someday. Uh, this is about what I was going to have to talk about over dinner tonight, right? When they asked me, what did you do today? Are you sure you want me to get into this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, tell us about Jesus. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, okay, just remember, you asked for this, right? You know, and we would launch these fabulous conversations. But then I realized that was nothing compared to the challenge I would get becoming a children's pastor. Because nothing prepares you better, uh, or, or at least I should say nothing sort of serves to remind me more about why I need to read the Bible and know it than working with children. Because they're not like adults, right? They don't care what you may not know. They're just going to ask the question anyway, you know? And I remember thinking, you know, it was always the grade five girls for some reason, you know, they would ask me stuff and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I went to seminary, <laughs> you know, because now I can answer this 11 year old's question about the Bible. Um, but that means I have to actually read it. And so, you know, sometimes when I look at sort of reading the Bible, I wonder what would happen if I approached eating food the same way that I approached reading the Bible. Okay, because I, I cannot speak for you, but sometimes I am guilty of this. You know, I don't have lots of time. I am a busy man. I have three kids at home, man. Okay, we have a busy household. Um, and so, you know what? It's easy. It's easy to settle for something that's just quick, you know? Look, it doesn't have to be good as long as it's fast, okay? You know? Um, like, that's how McDonald's, like, that's how they make money, right? You know? Uh, is on that attitude that, that we have. But I have to sort of stop and ask myself, okay, but do I really value what I'm getting here? Again, not that Hungry Man dinners are bad. I went to college once too, right? But at the same time, you know, my mom would be horrified if she found that out, you know? Um, yeah, it'll feed you. But really, if I want, you know, it says uh, chicken and pork. Well, if I want chicken and pork, you know, I would really rather have what you see now, you know? Uh, because that's more satisfying, both will feed you. Both will give you energy. One is way more appealing than the other. You know? um, and that is important to realize. And again, this is not about how evil uh, technology or social media is, or even being busy is. You know, it's, it's not about that. It's just a reminder that sometimes we need to stop, step back, and appreciate what we have while asking, you know, if we want it bad enough to go and take it, you know. 
um, I was you know, listening to um, a, a football coach talk about how he prepped his team to win a championship. And in the locker room, he just had a sentence and it said, how bad do you want it? And what are you willing to do to get it? How bad do you want it? And what are you willing to do to get it? And that to me is a key question that I keep having to ask myself. Because when I look at what the Bible is, and Psalm 19 tells us what it is, you know, it is all about God and who he is and what he wants us to do. Well, if I want more of that in my life, what am I willing to do to get it? But Sean, that cat is so adorable. I know. I know. But is it worth it? So taking time to just stop and take stock of where we are and what we want and what we're, do, what we're willing to do to get it, that's valuable. That's what we need to do. But also, it's, it's a matter of sort of looking at Scripture as well, like really looking. You know? There is a difference between looking at something and actually seeing what you're looking at. You know, uh, and sort of nothing taught me this better uh, than um, cleaning the house after I got married. Because, yeah, I mean, that, that, that house looks clean. Sean, are you serious? No. Yeah, I am. Like, what's, you missed it. Oh, man, I had no idea. You know, I mean, like, the, the stuff is off the floor. That it's wiped off, you know. What's, what's Windex, you know? Uh, so like seeing something and looking at it are different things. But it's a mistake we make when we, we, when we read the Bible as well, you know? Well, I looked at the words. Look, any student will tell you that is not the same as reading a textbook, okay? <laughs> um, but Sean, I, I know the Bible. Sure you do, you know? And yeah, sometimes, yeah, you really do, and that's good. But a lot of times too, you know, it's no, I, I just thought I knew <laughs> what it said. And when I went back, I'm like, actually, wow, I, wow, I didn't really know that. I'm glad I took the time to actually go back and look. And this is where sort of problems creep in. Because we get so used to having the Bible around, and we get so used to it being so accessible, that we begin to take it for granted. And that never ends well. At least it didn't for the Israelites. Uh, Judges 2 uh, verse 10 says, Moreover, that whole generation, the generation um, that came after Joshua, was gathered to their ancestors, and another generation grew up after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And I thought, boy, that's two generations removed from, like, the exodus from Egypt. Where they, they literally walked through an ocean. That's only one generation removed from when the rivers of the Jordan parted. Well, Sean, it's not a big river. It doesn't matter. The water stopped, and they walked on dry land. That doesn't happen normally. That is pretty amazing. 
So how did they grow up not knowing these things? Because they stopped telling their story. They took it for granted. Well, of course my kids will know. I mean, we're Israelites, for goodness sake. You know? But when we stop telling our story, we forget the things that God has done. Well, Sean, how can you forget the Red Sea? Apparently quite easily. Sean, how can you forget something like the fall of Jericho? Apparently really easily, right? But that's the value of reading the word. This is why the word is worth more than gold and sweeter than pure honey. Because by it your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. That's why, because this is our story. No, that's for the Israelites. No, it's ours too. And when we stop telling it, we forget who we are. And when we stop telling it, we forget all the things that God has done. And when we read about what God has done, we're like, well, if he can do that, he can bring my dad to the Lord. If he can part the Red Sea, if he can destroy the city of Jericho without the Israelites firing a shot, he can heal my mom. You know, and this is how we remind ourselves what God has done. And it reminds us to go, okay, what, in, what is my Jericho? What is my Red Sea? What has God done for me that is a testament to his faithfulness? Let's talk about those things because the Bible reminds us to do that. And when you read Psalms like Psalm 106, it's a history lesson. And it recounts all the things that God did for his people. And we can look at that, but do we actually comprehend, do we actually see what that is? Are we in danger of doing the same things the Israelites did? Where we substituted knowing about God for knowing God. So there are some things, um, when we look at reading the Bible, we, we, can, we can avoid. Uh, and these are common, common errors. Uh, you know, so in our quest to see what we're looking at, sometimes we make some mistakes. And one of these is reading the Bible out of context. And so this is also how you separate a good devotional from a not-so-good devotional. If a, you know, a, a good devotional will take a look at the context of the passage that they're reading or that they're talking about, and really explain it well. And when you take the Bible out of context, sort of bad things begin to happen, you know? And so uh, it was funny, one of, the, one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Ron Powell, when he was, he was responding to a student who was quoting Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, a very often quoted passage, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future, and, the, and, and my colleague had to sort of let this person down a bit gently uh, by reminding him of the context of that promise. Yes, that is all true after 70 plus years of exile. Wait, what? But the plans, yeah, no, those, those plans are still there. Just not yet. Because Jeremiah also said, hey, build homes, plant crops, get married. You're going to be here a while. But the plans, yeah, no, they're still there. They're still good plans. 
But context reminds us you have to wait. We're looking at Lamentations 3. You know, the mercies of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Well, I love Lamentations 3. Uh, Lamentations 1, 2, and surrounding, not so much. Because if you've read it, it's one of the most graphic portions of scripture you're ever going to read about the horrific situation the Israelites found themselves in. On the brink of starvation. And it was a horrible, horrible time. But when we look at the context, we can appreciate even more how they could say in this total horrific experience that God's mercies are new every morning. I know we're starving. And if you go and read it, you'll, you'll see the extent to which they were willing to go to alleviate their hunger. It's not pleasant. But even in spite of that, God's mercies are new every morning. And when we look at the context, not only do we avoid making mistakes about what the passage actually means, in many cases, it, it, it makes it a richer understanding for us. So be sure when you read the Bible, you read the context too. How do you do that? We'll get to that. Don't worry. Another sort of common error we make um, is we are sort of superstitious. No, Sean, I'm Pentecostal. I'm not superstitious. All right. But we are sometimes. Right. We approach the Bible a bit superstitiously. How? Let me tell you. Right. You know, we'll, we'll look at like we've, we've done something wrong. You know, or, we, or we have, we've gotten really busy uh, because I have an infant who's keeping me up all night. And I, just, I, can't, I don't even know what day it is today. I'm that tired. And so I haven't read the Bible in a couple of days. And I go, oh, I better read the Bible or I'm going to get sick because God's going God's to give me a cold because I haven't read the Bible. Okay, listen. If you get nothing else out of our time together this morning, please just get what I'm about to say right now. It is not possible for God to love you more than he does right this second. Okay? Reading the Bible is not something we do to make God love us more. It's something we do to make us love God more. Okay? If you get nothing else, just get that. Because we approach the Bible sometimes with that mentality. Well, I better, uh, you know... I better read the Bible because I was kind of mean to my friends yesterday. So got to get back in the good books. No, you're already there. Okay. Salvation and God's opinion of, of us is not based on what we do. Thank the Lord. It's based on what he has done. Well, how do I know what he's done? Wow, it's right here. I can read about that. But we get so wrapped up in this and so caught up in this. And this happened to me. Again, I was, you know, fairly new to the faith. And I was stressing out because I talked to my youth pastor. And I said, look, I really feel bad because I just, I haven't read my Bible every day. And I feel really, I just, I don't know what to do. And I was panicking. And he's like, Sean, Sean. He did everything but slap me. Like, Sean, Sean. And I will never forget what he said to me. He said, Sean, calm down. God wants your devotion, not your devotions, okay? You know, God wants your devotion, not your devotion, Sean, all right? He loves you as much as he's going to love you already. You can't earn any more.
Or we'll sort of look at, you know, certain parts of the Bible and uh, we'll read them in really weird ways because of what our culture tells us we should do. Like reading the book of Revelation. I was terrified to read that book for so long. And someone I was talking to recently, a, a friend of mine, you know, we were kind of reminiscing about this. And he said, Sean, I don't understand why we think that, you know. The book of Revelation was written to a persecuted church to give them hope. If we're afraid to read that, we're reading it wrong. You know? Actually, he's right, you know. But when I was coming up in the faith, this is just after a movie called Thief in the Night, you know, and, and all this is really, you know, some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. But it was just this really crazy interpretation of that book. And I'm like, man, what am I going to do? I can't read that book now. I get nightmares, right? It took me so long to realize, look, don't look at this that way. Don't be superstitious. This is God's words to you to give you life and peace and hope. Terror doesn't come from God. And finally, we tend to sort of moralize the Bible, almost like a spiritual Aesop's fables. And I've seen so much of this working with children. Well, kids, what's the lesson we're going to learn from this today? And it's usually something to do with how I need to behave better or not talk back to my mom or be kind to my friends and share my stuff, right? But the Bible is so much more than just, you know, moral fairy tales, When you're reading the Bible, don't moralize it. Because when we moralize it, when we look for, if you go through and read the Bible, just looking for little nuggets of life lessons, that's all you're going to get. And that's a tragedy. When we read it without moralizing it, we get to wrestle with the real issues. And we realize, wow, there are some hard questions here that I need to deal with. You know, one of the hardest sermons, and this is like, I, this is a mistake that, uh, you know, I made as a student, you know, and I will neither confirm nor deny that my students do the same thing that I did, um, but they probably didn't because they're better than me. But, you know, I had to go, I was, I was assigned uh, something to preach on. I said, okay, I haven't got a lot of time, so I'm going to pick a nice short book to do a sermon from. Oh, I know. How about Philemon? I can preach on the entire one chapter. Because I'm smart. I'm highly trained. I've been in school for a long time. I know what books are short, you know. Well, I soon found out that short does not mean easy to preach from. Right? You know? Because I was reading through it going, wow, um, there's, there's some big issues in our culture today that I have to wrestle with in Philemon. Um, and Paul's not addressed them the way I really wish he would have, you know. What are you talking about, Sean? Well, Philemon, it was, it was Paul's golden opportunity to condemn slavery. He doesn't do it. Why? I wish he, it would have made my life easier if he had of, you know. But hard questions like that. And sometimes people read the Bible and they go, what, that's in the Bible? Good Lord. Yeah, it is. But that doesn't mean we should be afraid of that. It means we should dig deeper and get our hands dirtier. And figure this stuff out. And when we do that, we'll realize how much fun that is. And how interesting it is. And so looking at stuff like that, I said, well, Sean, look, 
What if we come across, you know, really uh, difficult passages that are hard for me to understand? I love what Mark Twain says here. You know, most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture that they don't understand. But the ones that bother me are the passages I do understand. <laughs> um, and so again, don't be afraid of hard questions. Look, your pastors get paid millions of dollars to help you answer these questions. You know, this is your tithe dollars at work. Email them, Pastor Jeff, I don't know what to do about this passion, Leviticus. I know what's your favorite book. Can you please help me out? You know? Don't be afraid of that because it's so easy to get afraid. But again, when we actually stop and look at the Bible, God can show us some amazing things. We can see some amazing things if we stop and look and just kind of dig in here. Um, but that's not all there is. Uh, there's a sort of a, a third component. And spoiler alert, if you read the title slide, you know what that third component is, right? Uh, when it's, it's, it's not enough to just read the Bible by looking at it, you know? And it, it is not a comic book or, you know, like a mystery novel, you know? Um, we need to read it with listening ears. God, what are you saying to me here? God, what are you saying about yourself here? God, what are you saying here in general? You know, uh, Stephen Covey said that most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. I mean, I've got that down to a science, right? You know, my wife is an amazing listener. She will listen. She's very empathetic and caring, you know, and she will listen to you. And wow, I totally empathize, you know, and her reprobate husband, you know, will look at you and I will, I will hear what you're saying. But in my mind, I have to avoid the temptation to formulate a response. It's called, if you just do it, I'm going to tell you, you can solve all this problem right now. You know, all you have to do is what I tell you. I'm listening with the intent to reply. I had to learn, and I wasn't married long when I realized how to listen and how to not listen, okay? Um, you know, and uh, it may lessen your opinion of me, but I remember my first year of marriage, and if you're newly married, please don't do this. I would go for walks, sometimes for a long time, over an hour. And I did such a thing, uh, one time, and I came back to a very angry wife. I'm like, what is going, did I, do we miss something? Or what's, where have you been? I went for a walk. Well, did you not think I may want to come with you? Now, at that point, I should have stopped and actually listened to what my wife said. But instead, because it's me, I did not. So my response, don't worry, we're still married. My response was, well, why would you want to come? I was just listening to music the whole time. Don't do that ever, right? You know, be sure to listen well when someone is speaking to you, especially if it's the Lord through his word. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward, but who can detect his errors? Clear me from hidden faults and keep your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. 
This is how we know what we're doing when we stop and listen to what God is saying to us. And so it's, it's something uh, that's, that, again, when I discovered this, it was a bit, I thought it was a bit controversial. You know, because I'm a, I'm a good Pentecostal. I've been, I've been a minister for a long time, so we're all about the Bible. And we're all about reading it. But then I realized, wait a minute, how I read my Bible is almost as important as what I read in it. No. Yes. Because sometimes we look at the Bible and we read it, but it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, trying to look at the scenery out your car window when you're driving 100 kilometers an hour. You know, it's very hard to appreciate the beauty of God's creation when it's just a green blur out the window because you're so focused on getting to where you need to go. And that's not bad. But at the same time, stop. Look at what's here. How we read the Bible is extremely important. And sometimes we need to slow down so we can actually see what God wants us to see. Because sometimes we read passages that we know. And they're so familiar to us. And that happened to me when I was reading 1 Corinthians 13 with my kids. And I was so overcome, I actually had to stop and ask me, did you guys just hear what I read? Because at this point, I'd been a minister for almost 20 years. I'd read this at weddings. I knew what that passage said. And then I read, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, it's not worth anything. What? A faith that can move nothing? It's worth nothing at all? I can speak in the tongues of men or the tongues of angels. Oh, come on, Pentecostals, right? That's where we are. But if I don't have love, it's just an annoying sound. What? I'd read that passage for years. You know, but I read it really quick. You know, to take time to read it slowly. The final verse of that psalm is, May the meditation, I mean, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Well, when we hear the word meditation, we get a little bit freaked out because we think of sort of long-haired guys in sitting crisscross applesauce on a rock in the wilderness somewhere. Uh, that's not the kind of meditation it's talking about here. Okay? When you look at the Hebrew concept of meditation, the Hebrew word for meditation really means to mutter, to talk under your breath, to repeat over and over and over again. That's what it is. But to do that, you have to read it slowly. And to repeat it to yourself slowly, over and over. Because that's what psychologists would say. That, that's internalizing what you're doing. Right? And so, you know, reading versus meditating. Big, big, big difference. How I read the Bible is very important. And it has a lot of implications for what I'm going to get out of it. But also, when I read the Bible, do I read it with intentionality? Am I intentional about what I want to read? Or do I just go to those, oh, I'm going to read John 3, 16 today because I feel like getting blessed, right? You know, and that's not always bad. Sometimes we need to do that. But when we focus like that, we miss huge portions of scripture that can really speak to us. Do I read with intentionality? Do I read with expectation? When I read the Bible, do I expect God to speak to me? Why not? I remember being in a service and we were, you know, I was, uh, we, we were, 
sort of dissecting the service as, as pastoral teams do sometimes after services go. And we thought, I wonder what was different about this past service than any other. Well, because people came expecting something to happen. And when we approach a service like that, shocker, things happen, right? So if we read the Bible expecting something to happen, let's not be surprised when it does. Hey, God spoke to me. Were you expecting him to? Yeah. Why are you surprised? No. And I get the way myself. I'm like, wow, I really got a lot of that today. Well, did you come expecting? Well, yeah, Sean, you know, my wife will look at me. Well, of course, that's obvious, you know. But a lot of times... I don't do that kind of stuff. I don't come with expectation. And so when you look at all this, you go, okay, well, how do I get the most out of this? It can be really hard, Sean. You have no idea. You'd be surprised at how not hard this really is. And yeah, I really do wish I had a onesie like this when my first child was born, right? You know, Um, but you know what? It wasn't as hard as I thought. Reading the Bible and setting up a regular routine doesn't have to be hard. It just takes discipline and intentionality. You don't need a PhD in biblical studies to read Genesis. That's the beauty of the word of God. It doesn't matter how much or little education you have. You can still get something out of it when you read it. Why? Because God wants to show you more of who he is. He wants to show you more about what he wants you to do. And one of the reasons why I'm not listing off a bunch of helpful commentaries and websites is because I want you to spend time in the word itself. Resources are great. But also, you know, given that I'm from Scottish and Dutch heritage, uh, if I can give you something that doesn't cost any money, I'm totally going to do that, right? So, you know, I mean, you already have a Bible, You already have a mind. Use those. These are free tools that God has given you. You know. Setting up a time where we're going to do this. And so when when you look at sort of developing good reading habits. um, How do I do this? Well, make smart goals. Right? Specific measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-sensitive. But when you make up these goals, keep in mind goals and desires are different things. And you also need to be good to yourself. This is where the realistic and specific come in. And you can look at this and go, yeah, you know what, after today, I am really convicted. I'm going to go, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. Look, that's amazing. If you've never done that, I recommend, it's really good. It's a good thing to do. But if you've never even sort of read through a whole book before, don't start with that. Well, but then I'll be spiritual. Yeah, God doesn't care. Right? He, he, you don't impress God by how much of the Bible you've read. That's superstitious. Right? You know? So be specific, but make it measurable and achievable and realistic. So an example would be, okay, um, you know, uh, by the end of July... I am going to read John's gospel through one time. Well, that's not very spiritual. It's only one gospel. Hey, if you've never done that before, that's a huge win. That's a huge victory. Because, you know, we get into this really kind of silly squabbles about, well, you know, I mean, you only read the gospel of John. Well, I just read Isaiah. Good for you. 
Who cares? No one. Well, I guess apparently you do, right? But really, this is not a contest, you know? If you've never started with this, start small. No one's going to judge you, least of all God. He literally says there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. In Romans 8. He's not looking down on you, judging you for how little you've read. He's like, hey, the whole gospel, good for you, that's awesome. Now, how about Matthew? How about, how about all four? You know, be good to yourself. Set realistic goals. Because sometimes we get into this idea that, okay, I, you know, we get fired up and that's good. But then we set unrealistic goals for ourselves. You know, I'm going to read the entire book of Isaiah in one sitting. Oh, by the way, I highly recommend you do that. It is amazing. And God will show you amazing uh, things about how all the sections of a book fit together if you read it all at once. But you can't, like, it's the book of Isaiah. That's, that's going to take more than 10 minutes. Right? It's highly valuable to do that. But if you've never done something like that before, uh, how about starting with the book of Jude? You know? Well, it's not even, it's, it's one chapter. So? That's better than zero chapters. Be good to yourself. Be realistic. And even if you don't, you know, again, um, if you don't sort of have a regular routine, you know, say, oh, I'm going to read the Bible for seven days all the time. Be good to yourself. Okay? Why not start with, a, you know, two days? Well, that's not very spiritual. It doesn't matter. Because guess what? Two days is better than zero days. Right? And I have a sneaking suspicion, if you start with two days, you're going to increase that real quick because you will want more. Okay? But be realistic. Start small and start smart. So you can, you know, go at this for the long haul and not be discouraged. No one's judging you. Don't mistake judgment. We, we, we think that, you know, they're no, we're encouraging you. We are supporting you. We're saying, hey, that's amazing. Good for you. Well, I only read Third John. Well, that's better than nothing. That's awesome. But also taking some time, when we look at how we read the Bible, we, we have this, again, superstitious idea that the more I read, the better it is. Not necessarily. So do some things you may not have considered. Like a, a lady that I, I knew when we were pastoring in Ontario, you know, she was talking about this amazing, um, you know, devotional experience she had where she spent an entire week just reading Psalm 8. And I love Michelle, you went the whole, like seven days on one Psalm? Oh, yeah, it was amazing. It was like sitting down to a steak dinner. But, but one Psalm, isn't that kind of lightweight? You know, yeah, that was young Sean totally missing the point, okay? You know, when you take time and read that psalm over every day for seven days, you will be amazed at what you come away with. Maybe it's one of the, maybe it's one of the gospels you're going to read. Who knows? But just take some time and read it slowly. It's not a contest. God is not impressed if you read the whole Bible in six months. He just wants you to read it and develop a love for it so you can love him more because he loves you and wants to show himself to you. And reading the word is how we do that. 
So yeah, I highly recommend doing things like reading whole books at a time. Why, Sean? Because we talked about the importance of context earlier. That's why. When you read a whole book, it gives you the big picture of that book. So when you read the whole, you know, sort of gospel, you realize that when Jesus is talking about, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 and the loaves and the fishes, right, that's not just him talking about why it's good to share your stuff. No. That is directly related to two chapters earlier when he was talking about him being the bread of life. So that's how you get a a good idea of what the context is. But also reading it helps you understand the character of God more. Because, you know, one of the things I teach at Vanguard is, is, is Old Testament. And when I look at that, people look at the Old Testament and say, well, that's all doom and gloom. Really? Have you read the Old Testament? Because that's not what I see at all. You know, when I read the prophets, I see a God who is constantly chasing after his people saying, come back. I know you've gone here. You need to come home. You need to come back to the father that loves you. That's what I see when I read the prophets. The doom and gloom happens when they don't do that. But also, um, you know, we live in in an age where uh, we do things on our own. And so sometimes, you know, we look at this idea of, okay, try reading the Bible with a group of people. Well, that can't replace my regular devotional time. Are you reading the Bible? Well, yeah. Well, then why not? Keep in mind, the idea of me reading my Bible is a relatively new concept. You know, in the Bible, when they said, oh, Lord, I meditate on your word day and night. It's not because they had their own copy, right? Because that was cost prohibitive. They read it in the temple. They read it in a public setting. Then they meditated on that after they left. Get together with a group of people, even of mixed ages. Because it's amazing what I can learn from people who are older than me. Although having said that, it's really amazing what I can learn from people who are younger than me too. But when we read the Bible together in community, good things can happen. We can learn from each other. And the Bible calls that iron sharpening iron, I think. And so read it with others. Read it in community. But just take some time and decide what you're going to do. Right? And when you read it, I highly recommend you read a paper copy of the Bible. Now, again, it's not because I hate technology. That's not what I'm doing here. Right, But like I told my students, when I read this copy, the only notifications I get are from the Lord, right? Uh, you know, and so, and that's not to say that reading a Bible on a phone is bad. I'm not saying, but it can be very distracting if I have other applications open, you know? And God is just like, an almost like this huge, like, I'm going to show you something right now. Oh, wow. Really? That's too, I'm going to respond. Just, just one second, God, you know? That's so easy to do. So be good to yourself. Read a paper copy. Find a time that works for you. Some people, Lord bless them. Get up early in the morning to do this. I don't know how, but they do. Right? For me, it's easier late at night. Right? But decide in the time. Be specific. Pick a reading plan. Right? 
There's lots available online. You have pastors who are more than willing to help you. I think I'm safe in saying that, right? To figure out a good reading plan. Maybe you want to read through the Gospels first, whatever. But pick some, just start. Because really, it doesn't really matter what you do. Um, this phrase just came to me once. <laughs> just do it, okay? Just do it, you know? It doesn't have to be hard. What would to start? How about Genesis? I'm not even joking. You know, start there. It's, it's all narrative. That's really easy to read. And there's exciting stories in there. You know, be good to yourself. Start there. But whatever you do, make a choice and just do it. Whether it's together with some friends, whether it's listening to an audio Bible, that's not cheating. It's smart. <laughs> whatever you do, just do it. Pick a time, pick a favorite translation, sit down, be intentional, pay attention to how you're reading it, and go from there. Lord bless you as you embark on your journey doing that this afternoon. Thank you for your time. Lord bless you. Pastor Marlowe.